you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 24, as we're in this season of Easter, uh, the season that we're celebrating the reality that because Christ lives, because death is defeated, everything changes. It's such good news. And we've been looking at the fact that, uh, you know, the, the story of Jesus was really seemingly by many to go away once he was crucified. Once I was crucified and put in the bed and put in the grave, that story was supposed to be gone. But the amazing thing is that is the story. And in that story of Jesus's death and resurrection, we have a living hope. Does anybody need a living hope this morning? I know I sure do. I'm going to date myself with this, but back in the day when my family took a vacation, we typically went from upstate New York to visit my grandparents in Lakeland, Florida. To me, Lakeland, Florida was the heart of Florida. That was what Florida was all about, even back then. And for us to travel there, we were members of AAA. Anybody else a member of AAA? And remember triptychs. Does anybody remember a triptych? Now, older folks are raising their hands. Young people are like, what in the world is a triptych? This is, you understand, before iPhones, before the ability to do all this electronically, uh, to map out a, a route, uh, especially if it's long distance, you would go to a place like AAA and they would provide you with a series of maps to tell you how to get there. As a matter of fact, they were really cool. They were kind of bound, if I remember, up at top. And you could flip from page to page of where you're going as you're making your way down on this. And then some of the maps even opened up to a larger map so you could see where you're going. And it was fantastic. It would even note like where there's some problem areas and even where you had to make sure you were watching your speed. The problem is if you get off route, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you get lost, you can lose your trip tick. I mean, all of a sudden that was kind of where you go. But nowadays we know that it's amazing. How many times you say, hey, Siri, you can give me directions too. And all of a sudden it pops up. It's going to tell you in a thousand feet, turn left, you know? And I don't know about you, but I'm usually struggling, uh, like trying to get my dimensions right. I mean, a depth perception. How many is a thousand feet? Is it this turn? Is it that turn? Okay, there's where it is. But how many of y'all have made a mistake? I'm sure we all have. And what, what does it say when you miss your turn? Recalculating. It's recalculating. It's almost like, no worries. I got you. You've made bad turns. You're, you're, you're going the wrong way, but Hey, I'm recalculating your story. I'm recalculating the directions. I'm going to figure out a way for you to get there. Isn't it great having something to recalculate? I mean, I think that triptych never could do in time was recalculate. I mean, it was all laid out for us. How about in life? Have you ever wondered how do I recalculate, recalibrate my life? As for things that happen to you, and I, I know there have, I mean, there's events that happen in our life that, that usually come and they blindside us and they don't see it. We don't see it coming. And all of a sudden you try to think, how do I recalibrate my life from this point on? How do I make it home? How do I make sense of this? And oftentimes at those moments, we want to wonder, I mean, gosh, how do I, how do I walk away from this situation when dreams and hopes seem to be shattered. This morning, we're going to find uh, two, two folks, uh, Clopas and another companion, who are walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from Jesus. They're, they're walking away from the story that they thought was unfolding in Jesus's life. You see, they were there in Jerusalem when the events took place of Jesus's crucifixion. They were there, and they weren't there just like, you know, as 
bystanders just wondering what was happening. They were there fully invested that Jesus was the one. They were believing that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. But their hopes and their dreams were nailed to a Roman cross. You know, I guarantee you, you've had hopes and dreams that have died as well. I bet you, you could relate to them as they walked away from a story, as they walked away from what they thought was an answer. They had said this on that road to Emmaus. They said, but we had hoped. You know that, is there a sadder word in the English language than hope in the past tense? Is there a sadder word than hope in the past tense? I mean, something that that you had hoped for is gone. And I had hoped, but I had hoped. And how many but have I, I had hoped do we have in our lives? And when that hope in the past tense comes, it usually leads to despair. How many times? But I'd hoped that I'd be married by now. But I'd hoped that my marriage would make me happy. But I hoped that I have a child of my own. But I hoped that my, my son would finally be sober. But I hoped that I'd finally be financially secure. But I hoped that this medication would finally take away the pain. But I hoped that this situation was going to be better. That I hoped that this relationship was going to set me free. But I had hoped. You can't live long this life of ours and not have experienced the shattering and the death of hope. What do we do when hopes and dreams die? What do we do those? Well, this text is going to show us this morning that God and only God can recalibrate our hopes. And he could take hopes and let our hope forever be in the present tense. So we don't have to say, but I had hoped. So if you have your Bibles, again, Luke chapter 24, if you don't have your Bibles, it's written for you in the bulletin. You can read along with me. We're going to pick up this road to Emmaus story. We're actually going to be in Luke 24 the next two weeks. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 13 through 35. And let's be mindful that God didn't give us this story just to entertain us. He gave us this story to transform us. He gave us this story, ready for this, to give us a living hope. And so may he speak through his word this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. That very day. Well, what very day? This was Resurrection Sunday. This was that very day. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other all the, about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is the conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Clopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, 
And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's, that's Genesis, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up, opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them together uh, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask that you would bless us as you did to those two walking on the road to Emmaus. That you would open up our eyes to rightly see Jesus. As that we hear your word and your word is preached that God, your Holy Spirit would set our hearts on fire. That we would realize that Jesus is our only hope and through his suffering that we truly can be healed and forever have a living hope. God, would you give us ears to hear Jesus's voice and would you give us minds to understand scripture from Genesis to Revelation? God, would your spirit help us understand the story? And would you give us hearts that would, would be set on fire? to who you are and to what you have done, Jesus. And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to shape us and make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow with me. We're going to be looking at hope in the present tense. And it begins with this, recalibrating hope, recalibrating hope. We hear that word hope in the past tense from these two who are walking, but we had hoped. We had a hope. I love this story because as these two are walking, Clopas and another, and by the way, it's interesting, we don't know who this other one is. The only time he's mentioned in scripture, he's mentioned with his wife, Mary. Maybe it was a husband and wife. Maybe it was just two. We don't know as they were walking. 
But how, where were they walking? They were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking away from Jesus. They were walking away from hopes and dreams on the road to, a, to, to Emmaus. And I was thinking about this. I had that journey song jump in my mind. They were, they were taking the midnight train going anywhere, right? I mean, they just wanted to kind of get out of Dodge. Uh, hopes and dreams are, are shattered. You know that moment in life when, when you realize hope is in the past tense? You kind of don't even know where you're going. And they were just so confused of, of what was happening. Why? Because they, they had hoped in Jesus. They described Jesus this way, that he was a mighty prophet. He was mighty in word and deed. He had done great things. He had spoken great things. And he's done it before God and all the people. And then they were saying, well, then, you know, gosh, these religious folks, our, our religious leaders, they, they condemned him and crucified him. But they had hoped. They had hoped that this was the one. The long-awaited Messiah. They had hoped that he was the one to, to redeem them and, and their story. But they had hoped. And the suffering of Jesus, his, his crucifixion, his death, and being placed in a tomb had killed their hope. It was that Moab. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The mother of all bombs. The mother of all bombs happened to their hope. And that was that Jesus of Nazareth was pinned by nails to a cross, died, and placed in a tomb. And Jesus is going to recalibrate their hope. And one of the things that really strikes me about this, that I love about Jesus, is he shows up to those who are walking away. He, he shows up to those who are, who are confused. He shows up to those who are walking away from him and the story of Jerusalem and all the events. And isn't it like Jesus to just walk into our lives even when we are walking away? Now, what's he going to do? He's going to walk with them, not just walk with them. He's going to share a meal with them. And as he shares a meal with them, he's going to open up their eyes. He's going to set their hearts on fire. He's going to recalibrate hope. Well, the only way that we could have Jesus recalibrate hope is for him to recalibrate the story. Because they knew some of the story, right? This Jesus of Nazareth, he's a mighty prophet in word and deed. They had some of the story, but the story wasn't right. It's interesting because these two, they were familiar with Moses and the prophets because that's where Jesus would start. But they were, they were trying to see the story of Jesus maybe through like what some commentators would say, the wrong end of the telescope. Have you ever looked through the wrong end of a telescope? <laughs> ever looked through the wrong end of binoculars? I mean, it's just kind of like the opposite effect. I mean, they were thinking that this Jesus was going to redeem them from suffering. This Jesus was going to make all things right. And the amazing thing about this Jesus, now you got to get this, this is so important. He doesn't redeem us from suffering. He redeems us through suffering. And recalibrating the story is is not that that there was one who was going to come as the redeemer of Israel to make all our past easy and to take away all of our cares and sorrows at that very moment. He was going to save us through suffering. So they had the story wrong. And so he had to recalibrate. I mean, he's kind of harsh with them. He's he's like, oh, foolish ones. And you're really slow to believe. It's all been laid out for you. All that the prophets have spoken. And he says to them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? Although it was all there for them, no one understood that the Messiah was going to die on a cross. No one understood that the story was a Roman cross. 
No one understood that it would, the story would be an empty grave. No one, when they saw Jesus come into Jerusalem triumphantly, they were saying, this is our day. This is our hour. Finally, we're going we're gonna to crush Rome. Finally, we're going to throw off our oppressors. Finally, the kingdom is going to come. Finally, we're going to have rule and reign. Finally, we're going to be somebody. And they completely missed the cross. Even his disciples, it's interesting to me that when Jesus was clear, especially toward the end of his life, he's clear that, hey, listen, we're going to go to Jerusalem and here's what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to deliver me up to be arrested and, and I'm going to be betrayed and beaten and I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. He tells them that story and the gospels will say that they were heading on uh, to Capernaum. And on the way, they were discussing things. And after Jesus laid out what he was going to do, wouldn't you think they would be discussing, what does this death mean? What does this crucifixion mean? You know what they were talking about? Who was going to be greatest? (laughs) Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They, They completely missed it. Here, Jesus had held up for them. This is what it's all about. It's not about your kingdom placement. It's about how you get into the kingdom through suffering. You see, Clopas and his companions knew that Jesus was a man who was a mighty prophet of God and deed and word before God and his people. They knew the story. They knew that he was crucified. They hoped that he would be a redeemer. But here's what we need to know about Jesus. A man who is a mighty prophet and deed and word before God and his people is not enough to redeem you and me. It's not enough. We don't need somebody who speaks really, really well. We don't need a miracle worker who could take some fish and some bread and feed a bunch of people. We don't need one who could just walk on water. We need to be, we need to be redeemed. And I think what the people miss and what we often miss is how, imagine, how amazingly broken we are and how far it would take for God to redeem us. To redeem us, you don't just need a mighty prophet. To redeem us and to defeat sin and death, you need one who must suffer and die. You must have a death. You must have a crucifixion. You must have the grave. It's amazing. None of us want to really say that our sin is that bad. None of us want to say that really it costs Jesus his life to rescue us. I mean, in our flesh, we would love to say, yeah, you know what? My, my life triptych, my, my life it needs to be recalibrated. Maybe Jesus could come and recalibrate the story a little bit, refurbish the story, and fill in the missing pieces. But on my own, I'm pretty okay. And that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that we are so lost, so prone to wander, so sinful, that God's son has to die to make it right. He has to suffer. I mean, he has to become our sin. He has to absorb God's wrath. I mean, he has to experience isolation from a holy God so that we would never have to. You just don't have salvation without a cross, a grave, and a resurrection. Without those, we are foolish. We are, we are to, of all people, most to be pitied. We don't need a mighty prophet in word and deed. It's not enough. Yes, Jesus was that. We need a suffering servant. We need one who, who would be pierced for our transgressions. We need to be one, we need one who would be wounded because of our iniquity. We need to have one who, who God will put our shame and our brokenness on him and he would be destroyed so that we could live. You see, suffering is the story that Jesus will suffer. And so what does he do? He's going to say, well, this is the whole story. 
is this? And beginning, the very beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he's going to go through the Bible. And boy, I tell you, I wish I was there. What verses did he, did he quote? What did he point out? He says, through all of scripture, he's pointing out that it wasn't not necessary that the Christ must suffer. He had to go to Genesis 3.15, which is the first promise of the Messiah after the fall. And as, as God was saying, this is going to result of the fall. He makes a promise that a seed will come. A seed will come and that Satan will bruise his heel. That's suffering. But he will crush Satan's head. He said, now I listen. Look at, he bruised my heel, but I crushed death. He would take him to Exodus and say, you know that Passover lamb? You know how I released my, my people from slavery of Egypt? And you know how they slaughtered the Passover lamb and they put his blood upon the doorstep so the death would pass over? I'm the Passover lamb. And through my blood, death passes over you and you will live. He had to take him to Isaiah 53 of the promised servant that would come. The one who would be pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquity. And the one that through his wounds, we are healed. He'd have to take him to the law and says that curse is anyone who hangs on the tree. And he'd have to take him to Deuteronomy 28 and show him the curses and the blessings of the law. And say all those curses and blessings have been met in me. And then we think of the New Testament, things like he had to come and be tempted in Matthew 4, like he was. And he had experienced hunger and he had experienced thirst. And the writer of Hebrews would say that we have a high priest who can relate to us because he's been tempted in every way like us and yet without sin. And so, so what Jesus does is he, he recalibrates their story. I know you guys were looking for a Messiah. And I know you thought that I, it's Jesus of Nazareth because he was mighty in word and deed before God and the people was it. Let me tell you, you got the story wrong. The story requires more than a mighty prophet. The story requires a sacrificial lamb. And that's me. You see, when we see the reality of what Jesus has done throughout the story, our hearts should burn within us. I don't know where you are, but I would say that if your heart has not been set on fire because of reading God's word and seeing Jesus throughout the story, if you haven't been able to read God's word and see, oh my goodness, all the promises of God are met in Jesus Christ. Everything that he requires of us, he has provided for us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, I have forgiveness in life and my heart is on fire. I cannot get over it. I can read all of scripture and say, man, it points to him. And he and he alone is the only hero of the story. Has your heart ever been on fire reading God's word? It's a sure sign the Holy Spirit is there. And that by God's grace, he's recalibrated the story for you. You see, that's true that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He has paid for, atoned for our sins. He has conquered death. And here's what he's doing. He's recalibrating not just the Bible stories, recalibrating our stories and our lives. All our, but we had hoped. All ours, but we had hoped. In Jesus, our hopes never die. Peter himself would say it this way in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, he's basically saying, blessed be God, because God's giving us a living hope. It's a living hope because Jesus lives through his resurrection 
our hopes will never die. We now have a living hope in a present tense. In the midst of all the broken dreams and all the shatteredness of our lives. In Christ Jesus, we have a living hope. A living hope that even reaches our loved ones who are with him. A living hope that's for this life and the life to come. A living hope that nothing can separate us from nothing. A living hope. But for us to have a living hope and a living story that needs to be recalibrated, he's got to recalibrate suffering. You know, the triptych, it's interesting. If you went off the triptych, you were in trouble. You don't go another way. But what the triptych was supposed to do, which was really nice, it would tell you, here's the construction spots. And the triptych said, well, here are the, here are the cops. As a matter of fact, sometimes it will take you around interstate. It says, I'm going to send you this way because there's some trouble here. And sometimes we think that, you know, God, could you be a little bit of a better triptych for me? Shouldn't you be like leading my life away from problem areas? Shouldn't you be leading me away from these things that are so hard? I mean, what in the world's going on? I mean, if you're the Holy Spirit that's leading me, shouldn't my life have a better triptych feeling than this? And oftentimes it's suffering. I mean, suffering makes us wonder, are we on the right path? Have you been there? I mean, suffering, it may really something deep, deep down inside of us wonders, is something gone really wrong? Look where I am. I mean, why am I here? We ask questions like this. God, God wouldn't allow this or could God really allow this if he really loved me? Wouldn't God really stop this if he could have? And, and how can God be God and this be a part of my story? Suffering makes us think that something has gone terribly awry in our own suffering our own stories. And is it not true that sometimes suffering makes us want to walk away even from Jesus? Remember, God didn't deliver us from suffering. He didn't deliver us from suffering yet. He delivered us through suffering. And here's the point. He will always deliver you through suffering. He's never lost one sheep. He never will. He's not going to lose one because of suffering. Not one. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Not, not one thing. He, he will deliver us through suffering. Even when you can't hold on, he is going to hold on to you. Even when you are walking away from the story, he's going to walk alongside you if you are one of his. It's incredible good news. We got to realize when it comes to God, his, those that the Bible say are his best or his most loved, if there, if there is such a thing. They all suffered. Look at Job. I mean, God himself would say to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Man, this guy's righteous. This guy's blameless. Have you thought of him? I mean, we think throughout scripture, the number of people that have been suffering. Then there's John the Baptist. One of my favorite ones, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he was Jesus's cousin and when they were together and they were both in the womb, John leaped inside the womb, they said. I mean, John the Baptist was the one that he really seemed to get Jesus early on. John, in John chapter one, he would say of Jesus, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Man, that's amazing. And when he would come to be baptized by, by John, John the Baptist would say, no, 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 we can't do this. I'm not worthy to even untie your sandals. What are you doing? 
And you know John's story? John's story is that he, because of a party favor, because at a party with Herod was at, that he was really getting sauced up. And he says to some really nice looking dancer, man, what can I do for you? And he says, well, you know, if it's a party favor, why don't you give me the head of John the Baptist? So John the Baptist finds himself in prison. He finds himself suffering. By the way, this suffering is going to lead to death. And he sends back word to Jesus. Are you the one? I mean, should we be looking for somebody else? Dude, I, I, I was like dressed in crazy clothes out in the wilderness, screaming at people, telling them to repent because you were coming, because you were at hand. I mean, I, I was the one. I saw heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descend upon you. I heard the voice of the Father from heaven. But, but you know, are you the one? I'm the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet here I am in prison. Here I am in, entombed. Here I am. And look at my circumstances. This can't be right. And this is can't be right. He can't be the Messiah. He, should we look for another one? And Jesus says, hey, go tell John. Listen, the blind are seeing, the, the, the lame are leaping. God's word is being fulfilled. I am the only one. You see, that's what suffering does to us. It makes us wonder, man, am I missing something here? I mean, is God missing something here? Is he just not as good as I thought he was? Is he not as powerful as I thought he was? Am I on the wrong path? And what God has got to say is, no, 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 I'm going to recalibrate the story, to recalibrate the story by recalibrating suffering. And, And the reality is, is that God doesn't save us from suffering. He saves us through suffering and that he will never let us go through suffering. But then he's going to say to us that, by the way, anyone who desires to live a godly life, you will suffer. <laughs> he tells us that there's, this is true of all of us, 2 Timothy 3.12. Well, it's through Jesus' suffering that he relates to us. And I know sometimes it's not, it's, it's not enough, but it's true. That through suffering, he relates to us because why he suffered too. I mean, it's a terrible adage, but misery loves company. But there's something beautiful about the fact that a God who relates to you. I mean, for all of you who have wept over a tomb, for all of you who have wept over a broken relationship, Jesus has too. For all of you who have wept over death and and brokenness, Jesus has wept too. He knows it. For all of you who have felt betrayed, he knows it. For all of you who feel alone, he knows it. I mean, so he relates to us through suffering. But it's more than that. He rescues us through suffering. And through his suffering, we're healed. And scripture will say that through his suffering, through our suffering now, we have a fellowship with him. Now, we're going to suffer on this earth because we make bad decisions. And we're going to suffer on this earth because of consequences of our sin. But we're going to suffer on this earth because, you know, this is a broken world. And, and scripture even says, you're going to suffer. If you want to live for me, you're going to suffer. But I love what Philippians 3.10 says. But in that suffering, you have a fellowship with Christ. You walk with Jesus. For I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Through suffering, we have a living hope. That's 1 Peter 1.3. Because he lives, our hope lives too. This morning, we're going to go to the table. And the table is a reminder of that suffering unto life, that Jesus doesn't save us from suffering, but it's, he saves us through suffering. And did you hear the story? When, when did they recognize Jesus? It was when he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it 
and he gave it to them that their eyes were open. And by God's grace at this table, for those of us who our eyes were open, our hope has been recalibrated. The story's been recalibrated. Suffering's been recalibrated. He wants to recalibrate our lives and story again by taking the bread and said, this is my body given for you by breaking it so that we, through his brokenness, can be made whole. Let us pray. And Father God, would you come and would you feed us, not just through your word, but through this table. And God, may each of us see the reality of Jesus, the one who would suffer for us through the broken bread and the poured out wine. Father, I pray for those who who wonder how in the world can suffering be such a big part of their story? The ones who even want to walk away. God, I thank you that you're a God who walks after those who are walking away from the story. And Father, would you recalibrate all of our stories? Would you show us the hope of what a Savior has done for us, who lived for us, who died for us, and who was resurrected for us? And that now in him, we will forever have a living hope. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.